Welcome to Fashion Your Seatbelt, your first class seat to one-on-one -on -one conversations with the fashion industry's top voices. I'm Jessica Michaud, and I created this podcast to share the joy I have in getting to know all the amazing people who bring this creative, inventive, and extraordinary business to life. You'll get to hear the cadence of their voices, the sound of their laughter, and feel firsthand how passionate they are about what they do. But before we get this show on the road, I want to say a quick thank you to GPS Radar for making this episode possible. GPS Radar is the members-only website where leading fashion brands and media connect. Also, I just want to remind you to leave a review. Stars are really trending right now, and it helps other very stylish listeners like yourself find the show. Now buckle up, and let's get started. Robin Meeson is a woman who has lived quite an amazing globetrotting existence. And the reason she has had such an adventurous life is because she has always followed her heart. Following her heart is also what happens to make her one of the best fashion PRs in the business. Robin was born and raised in Texas where she studied European civilization at Texas State University, but she always had a thing about France, and Paris in particular. She might have lived in London, Los Angeles, Athens, and Australia over the years, but she has always come back to Paris. And it's in Paris where she launched her PR agency called Ritual Projects in 2013. While in the past, following her heart had Robin traveling the world, today her heart and her head for business is what makes Ritual Projects such an interesting company. Think of Ritual Projects like the rebellious cool kid at school who always seems to know what's going to be the next big thing before anyone else does. The brands that Robin represents are the ones that are generating buzz for their creativity and being on the cusp of blowing up. They are also very loyal to Robin as she nurtures them from the jump while they grow into brands like Y Project, GmbH, Ottolinger, and Area that are coveted by those in the know in the fashion industry. But as good as Robin is at promoting her brands, she's not someone who likes to talk about herself. So getting to sit down with her, to hear her life story, and get insights on how she works and how she spots talent was such a rare treat. And I am so happy I get to share this moment with you. Robin, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure, Jessica. Uh, you know, we see each other at the shows all the time, but it's always so crazy. And to have this opportunity to sit down and talk with you, I'm just really excited to hear what you have to say. So um, my first question is, you know, I imagine you get this a lot is, so how the hell did a girl from Texas end up here in Paris? Tell me a little bit about your passion for this city and how it came about. Well, I was, I'm from a small town in Texas and there was an exchange student from Austria mm -hmm. who stayed the year, was quite, um, how can I say, she, she was a bit of a gothic. She was definitely not something that we'd seen in a town of 14,000 people in Texas in 80, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And I was just fascinated. I thought she was just an interesting person. And, um... Well, after I graduated from high school, she was living in Paris. We kept in touch, and she said, why don't you come visit me? You'll love Paris, I'm sure. So I came to visit her. She was studying at Studio Berceau. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the first time I got somehow linked to fashion, I would say. Mm -hmm. And uh, we backpacked through Europe, stayed a bit in Paris, of course. And I went, and I was, I was convinced I wanted to live in Paris. I didn't care what I was doing, but I was going to figure it out. So mm -hmm. I went back to the States, and I studied international studies with a focus on Europe, a minor in French. Four years later, uh, and one month after finishing my uh, degree, I came back to Paris and started as a nanny. Oh, really? You were an au pair? I was an au pair. Oh, my God. So that meant that I had my days free, um, and 
and I was actually an au pair for a photographer. And um, her kids were older, so it was a bit more like being a big sister. So mm-hmm. I kind of was, I was always at the Centre Pompidou. I was always in galleries. I was absorbing all of these things that I didn't have in Texas. I had never been to a museum before oh I God. came to, to Paris. And so it was, yeah, kind of like a sponge just absorbing it all. And, and so how long did you do that for? I, said, I did that actually for about three years. Okay. So then afterwards she was like, well, are you, you know, you're looking for a job. Why don't you work for my agent? And I said, why would, I, I don't have any skills. I don't know. What do you mean? And she said, I bet you'd be good at it. Mm-hmm. So I did get my feet wet with kind of PR, but working as an assistant to a photographer agency. Okay. And uh, that was interesting. It was like championing, you know, people and creatives. Meanwhile, my friend had started her own brand, and her friends from Studio Berceau were also in the early 90s starting their own brands. Mm -hmm. I was going to shows, gate-crashing some shows as well. Oh, you have to give me your details about how you gate-crashed. I'm very curious. I've got some good ones from Susie, so you have to tell me how you got in. Well, I mean, it was kind of on the coattails of my friend who was an intern, and Mm -hmm. then, you know, maybe she had an invite from somebody else, Mm -hmm. and, you know, that, I mean, it wasn't as Mm -hmm. kind of like... Hardcore now, yeah. No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. So I remember going to the Jean Colonneau show, Karl Lagerfeld, and just being kind of mesmerized, but didn't think I would have anything to do with that world mm-hmm. at one point, mm-hmm. or much less organize it. So something. there was, so it was just a, a, an auxiliary passion, like this is amazing and I love it, but no idea of how you would place yourself in that world, really. No, not really. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, like I said, my friends, some friends around me were starting their own brands, and one's from Austria, one's from France, and they were like, "Do you think you could help?" us was like a press release and mm-hmm. I mean my I mean English speakers so yeah I could definitely help with you know grammar or whatnot mm-hmm. but it also got me into having to kind of look at a collection and think okay and then knowing my friends and kind of talking to them and understanding where they were coming from so in a way it was this very natural organic thing of okay I just want to try, try to help my friend mm-hmm. and um, so I got my feet wet with some yeah writing of mm-hmm. press releases which were probably pretty bad, but I guess better than <laughs> somebody who didn't, you know. No, but I mean, it's great to be able to, so there are very few of us who can do both French and English. I mean, so it's, it would be great to be able to, to tag in both of those sides and be able to do both of those things. Yeah, I guess so. Where in this, his, your history then, does this uh, decision to leave Paris and move to London happen in relationship to you helping your friends and doing the press releases and all of that? I had been in Paris for six years. Mm-hmm. I was um, involved with French <laughs> Like, yeah, I had romantic relationships. One had ended, and I was a bit like, you know, let's see what's going on in London. And um, one of my friends was represented by a PR in London, and she said, why don't you call up my my agent? Uh, She's French, Mm -hmm. and so she'd probably be quite keen to having an Anglophone with her. She just launched her agency not so long ago. Well, I got in touch with her, and she was like, yeah, I would, but I really don't have much of a budget yet, but mm-hmm. let's please keep in touch. Whilst my friends on Greek Street, she was on Frith Street in Soho, um, Barian Poyoski was at Koken Tsai, mm-hmm. well, had started it. Um, I was there in 2000, and um, he said, great, yeah, we'd love to have somebody on board. And they were already doing some loans from the Wait, so store. explain what this is, because maybe not everybody knows about this iconic store, so can you tell a little, talk a little bit about the, this place that you got hired at. So Koken Tazai literally means 
East Meets West. Mm-hmm. And Marian Pajoski had just recently graduated from Central St. Martins, but he'd opened it while he was still in school mm. with his partner, Sasha Bojevic. I don't know if I'm saying that very well. Well, he was a DJ. Okay. And um, so it was a store, like a record store and a fashion store, which is it was kind of like a cabinet de curiosité mm-hmm. with, you know, graduate collections, one-off pieces from the Central St. Martins, which was around the corner, still is. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, and Marianne did amazing buying. He had the Air Nike Air Rifts before. You know, people would go and line up as soon as they would come back from, like, New York with their suitcases filled with some oh, stuff. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, and there was, like, I, you know, John Galliano was coming in. Um, Bjork. I sold the dress to Bjork. I was, like, wow. over the moon about that. So I was kind of, you know, getting this firsthand um, experience with, the London fashion world uh, by selling, you know, being at the in retail, mm-hmm. but also doing some loans, which wasn't really PR work per se. Um, but that was a great education as well. And then shortly after, I was also able to do a few days with this French PR. Okay. So I was actually doing both, uh, a bit of uh, Coco Design and then this PR. And then her her husband was at Exposure. He's, he's the owner of Exposure. And I also worked a bit with Exposure PR in their showroom. Mm-hmm. So I had like three kind of things going on just... You were you were you were part of the hyphenated generation before that even existed. It sounds like you were doing all kinds of different things at I, once. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, everybody was connected, and mm-hmm. it was all kind of in the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just trying to make ends meet as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, let's work three jobs to pay for that for that you know what fifth floor walk up in London kind of a thing. Exactly. Um, so then, tell me. Was it directly after that you're like, all right, I'm going to go back to Paris and launch my own thing? Or was there a lot of traveling involved? Kind of when was that shift where you're like, all right, I can do this on my own now? Well, after a couple of years uh, in another relationship, I went to Athens, Greece and lived for three years, actually. It was supposed to be a... Three months, it turned into three years as things kind of happen in Athens. It's so great. You follow for love. It's amazing. You're very passionate. I, I felt my, uh, yeah, following my heart, not my head. I think that I won't we'll ever do that again. But it's, <laughs> it's been great learning while you're, you know, young doing these things. Mm-hmm. And there I, there's no PR offices per se. That was in 2002. And so, yeah, I was meeting again creatives, uh, fashion designers, uh, photographers, as I'd had a bit of, you know, experience with photography. Mm -hmm. Some photographers wanting to work in getting, you know, like an agent in New York or a jewelry designer wanting to show their collection at Premier Class. Mm -hmm. Uh, I kind of, you know, knew the interworkings of those fields are knowing how to communicate or make up a lookbook or mm-hmm. tell him what to put in his portfolio. Mm-hmm. So I was doing that freelance and teaching in English. Okay. So like consulting, you know, just guiding these different brands that you believed in and different artists That's that you believed in. That's a nice in. way to put it. Yeah, I okay. was consulting. It was, again, <laughs> um, a hyphenated uh, existence, but it was a lot of fun and a great learning experience. So I was there for three years, came back to Paris, so happy to be back in Paris. Okay. Uh, the grass wasn't greener on the other side. I was happy <laughs> to be back with the French, and I started back with um, I started with Christopher Lee Press, mm-hmm. uh, who were really championing young designers, discovering young de- talents. And I worked there for six years. Okay. So I really got, I feel like my, my real kind of almost my education and PR more there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other experiences were nice, you know, to have kind of cultural anecdotes yeah. and information and contacts. Yeah, contacts. Nothing beats those contacts. Yeah. And so we stayed with uh, 
Christopher Lee Press for six years, worked with designers from all over the world. Uh, and after that, yeah, I was thinking, okay, after six years, maybe maybe I would leave uh, France again. Mm-hmm. I kind of got itchy feet. I went to L.A., did some market research, went to Australia, and everybody I met was like, oh, you've been based in Paris? I'd love to be represented there. Ah. So in a way, it kind of always, all the roads led back to Paris. Mm. And um, so that did lead lead me back to Paris, and I was happy that I had kind of looked west and east and said, yeah, I mean, all my contacts are here. Mm-hmm. So it's good to take some breaks from Paris, but it is kind of like my home away from home. Mm-hmm. It's definitely my home base for um, professionally. And I had met a couple of designers along the way that said, look, I don't even mind if you do this from your your place. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have a showroom, but if you represent me, that would be great. So I started with some young designers. And uh, it turned into Ritual Projects after about a year and a half. And how did it become Ritual Projects? What made you decide what you made? It, was, so it sounds like it was much, wasn't more like a, I'm going to do this now. It sounds like no. it was kind of an organic, oh my God, I have a, you know, my own PR firm. That's, how did that happen? That's exactly it. I was starting to see that some things were sort of forming. And I said to myself, I, I'd never planned to have an agency, mm-hmm. you know. But I said, was thinking to myself, if this happens organically, Okay, mm-hmm. go with the flow again. Mm-hmm. Um, follow your heart somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was happening like that. So I actually got a break from somebody. I was talking to somebody about, oh, I guess I need to find a place. And they were like, oh, I know somebody that has a commercial agency who says, oh, it's so boring because during Paris Fashion Week, it's always, you know, there's a lot of activity. But during outside of uh, Fashion there's, Week, there's nothing, there's nothing yeah. going on. And I knew him indirectly, and it was actually somebody that, when I met him, he said, yeah, of course, bring your laptop. I've got a printer. So I brought my laptop, and he had a printer, and I had, yeah, maybe four brands that I was working with, and that's kind of where it started. That Mm -hmm. was in the Marais, and then after about a year of there, I went to another place. Again, the same situation of a commercial agency from Denmark who had a, a place in Paris, and mm-hmm. we did sort of the same deal. I would leave during Fashion Week mm-hmm. and hire a place <laughs> and then come back in with my agency. I would leave on, with it on my back, come back with uh, the collections, and... Yeah, I guess that was you hermit crabbed it for a little while there. <laughs> I did, I did. Okay. It was, it was, it was, it was hard to kind of find a place where I could really have the, you know, the lease and mm-hmm. all of that. So mm-hmm. little by little, I was able to kind of get the the designers, get the clients, and then I got a place around the Canal Saint Martin and really set yeah. up shop at that time. I remember that one by Canal Saint Martin. Mm. I remember that. Can we talk a little bit about, well, first, briefly, the name Ritual Project. It's not your name. So where did that come about? Why was that the name that you fixed on? Well, for me, fashion is, I, I would see my friends working and, you know, making their collections and was thinking, what do I like about fashion? And I, it was the craft. It was mm-hmm. really people making things, uh, even artisanally. And so that kind of has a ritualistic kind of thing for me. I can mm-hmm. imagine somebody getting up, somebody waking up in the middle of the night. I mean, this thing mm. that's almost, yeah. it's a, Stronger it's, than that. Yeah, they can, exactly. yeah. Exactly. Um, and quite a beautiful thing, I yeah. think. And then the projects part came because I really couldn't imagine this only being fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started with photography. I, I love art. I love music, and if sometime, somewhere, I could somehow be involved with those kinds of creatives as well, I'd be happy. So Mm -hmm. 
I kind of wanted to, to be open-ended. That's mm-hmm. why I put the projects on okay. it. And then so that leads me next really nicely into my next question, which, which is how do you um, feel or, or suss out who you want to work with, who you want to represent? Where, are there certain indicators that you like you have to check a couple of different boxes? Is that a gut reaction before anything else? I mean, how do you decide who you want to spend your energy on? I think it's the gut reaction first and then looking a little bit further and past that and or into it and thinking, okay, um, is there creativity? Of course, that goes with my gut reaction, yeah. the creativity, the originality, authenticity. Uh, who is the designer? Mm-hmm. What's their story? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I'm, I have to. It's a storytelling thing for me, mm-hmm. and so yeah. I mean, it is very organic. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't necessarily have any other criteria except for that, mm-hmm. and then it just seems to make sense with what I, the other designers I'm working with. I mean, after I had a few designers or even several, it was like, okay, if I take on another one, how does it fit? Maybe I'm not getting, maybe I don't have this kind of like aesthetic. It would be nice to complete that. In a way, it's things that I feel create a whole wardrobe for someone as Mm -hmm. well, or the people that I know or the people out there, consumers. Do I have something kind of for everyone in a way or people who... I would like to be able to to somehow offer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. fashion or ways of expressing themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of those different things okay. that are put together. Do you see, is there a, so kind of different aspects, like kind of building a universe of like, okay, this, rep, this represents this and this kind of fits in there and they're different and yet they complement each other in a certain way. Would you, is there a, is there a thread, a follow through thread in all of them? Are they all, because when I came in, look at your, at your press days and saw all of the, it's very eclectic. They're very, they're very unique and very, um, uh, how would you put it? Very um, precise point of views. I mean, there's nothing that's quote unquote commercial. There's very much, they're taking a parti pris, as they say in French. Is that an important aspect of, for you that they be brands that are very identifiable or iconic in their own right or really stand on their own two feet to a certain I, extent? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's what interests me. Mm-hmm. Somebody has a real vision, um, an authenticity. So in my office, I couldn't imagine having, even if it's a very feminine kind of silhouette, the same story. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to provide different stories for stylists to work with in mm-hmm. a way. And also that kind of, for me, fulfill different sort of dimensions, I mm-hmm. guess. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, the coherent line um yeah i think you put it well and kind of how they're connected some mm-hmm. people it's been hard I, because it hasn't really been something very calculated yeah. what's been interesting for me and the thing i didn't even realize would happen is to kind of look at the brands after or even look at the agency and say okay this is what happened this is how it took form mm-hmm. um not that i'm working blindly yeah. by any means but it is so many of these people have come to me. I haven't really done a lot of outreach. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of, a, you know, maybe somebody I know or somebody is from a friend mm-hmm. of a friend. And then, of course, there's editing. And sometimes I'm not able to take on people. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's been interesting to see kind of how it took form. When you talk about people coming to you, what do you think that is that 
sets you apart that you offer that you feel people feel attracted and, and want to work with you? I mean, if you can kind of step out of yourself and, and look at what you think that might be. I think that some after, I mean, it's after a few, after a couple of years, I think that they wanted to maybe be involved in the context that's mm-hmm. been created. Um, I think maybe it, I mean, that I've been doing a hopefully good job, and that there's results, <laughs> yeah. and there's some success stories. Yeah. But at, at the beginning, there were a few people that were saying, I'd like to work with you because you do things differently. Mm. Um, my thing is that I always feel the need to do something with a personal touch. I, mm-hmm. I like to feel like there is a, a fingerprint somewhere, mm-hmm. and that's just my own thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so... By keeping it personal and and hopefully kind of also giving a lot of attention. If I'm working with a journalist, I'm really hoping to be able to to kind of understand what they want and mm-hmm. understand what my client wants and and keeping it very, I guess, hands on. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose there's other agencies that mm-hmm. do that, mm-hmm. so I'm not saying that that's no, what no, gets no, me no, apart, not at all. But yeah, but hands-on and having your fingerprint, I think the fingerprint, I think that that's a, that's a good point. Um, because a lot of your brands are, it's not like you're taking on a, I'm going to now represent Gucci or what, I mean, that, you know, these big brands that already are well-known in the world, you're taking on generally younger or, or known in one specific part of the world. Um, I remember you saying in an interview somewhere that, you know, what you do is you kind of target influencers, and maybe this was before that word influencer got so bastardized, <laughs> and then letting those tastemakers, let's say, and have it trickle down from there. Is that still kind of the, the think thinking process, whereas in the U.S. maybe it's more corporate and more business, whereas in Europe there's this kind of more find the right people for the clothing and let them kind of tell the story of the clothing? Maybe I'm putting words into your mouth. About the influencers? Well, maybe. I mean, that was one thing that you mentioned in the past, but again, I think it was maybe before <laughs> influencers became what it is today. Um, but yeah, like how do you maybe introduce in more in an organic way, which is definitely the way I would say the European press does than, in, you know, PR does than compared to the U.S. where it seems to be much more corporate and much more, you know, like, okay, are they uh, an advertiser? And then we'll put them in the magazine, whereas in Europe it's much more, or maybe I'm wrong, uh, there, there is more of a connection or an organic uh, feel between maybe a brand and, a, and an individual or a press. I don't know. Are you talking about my press outreach? Yeah, style? press outreach. Out, yeah, press outreach. How do you get people excited about one of your brands? Like, is it connecting them to different individuals? Is it connecting them to the press directly? How do you? What is that process for you? Like, if you've got a new brand that you want to introduce to the world. Well, it's very, uh, I think of the dimensions of the brand that would attract or appeal to the the journalist. Mm -hmm. Um, Not every single brand I work with, I think, is going to necessarily, you know, excite every single journalist. So maybe in a publication, there's, I would target one more than the other for Mm -hmm. a certain brand. Um, Thinking of, okay, does this brand have a, a dimension or an aspect of it that, I think that the journalist would be more interested in. So it kind of accentuating and bringing out, it's kind of a cultural connector as Mm -hmm. well. I like that. um, I think of the relevance that the brand has and trying to 
for example, if I'm working with a brand from Tokyo and uh, I'm talking to him and he's like, oh, yeah, I come from Naoshima and we do mud dyeing. I said, but that's super important. And mm-hmm. for us, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. For him, that's just commonplace. Yeah. So then I take that out and, you know, contact the press and kind of include that in it. And it's, it's, it's interesting working with brands from all over and trying to kind of connect each other or connect the brands to the media mm-hmm. and even to the consumers and mm-hmm. and kind of not I'm not educating anyone but I think that each designer has such a specific DNA mm-hmm. and coming from different countries and fashion is such a sort of bar- barometer of society and also of these different places that they're coming from that we can really learn from fashion even if it's small details like that mm-hmm. uh, the mud dyeing techniques I mean it makes I don't know, it makes me feel happy that we... I mean, I mean, I studied about Europe and all mm-hmm. those cultural things. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm a geek on that. It really... Oh, it's, for me, it's all about those little details that make all the difference, for sure. That tells the story right there. It, give, it gives it a, a different um, dimension, for sure. Absolutely. But then, so then where do you sit with this whole idea of... Well, people who like to buy things now like to get to make choices in relationship to their peers, to relationship to like if an influencer is wearing it, then I'm interested in wearing it. I mean, has that aspect of um, brand ambassador, influencer um, affected the way you do business? And do you feel that they have maybe equal or or growing importance in relationship to the traditional press um, as far as bringing your brand's awareness in in a larger space? It's been interesting to see how that's evolved, mm. definitely, over the years. And that is because of Instagram. Yeah. Um, of course, there's already been on the red carpets and all that. My brands aren't really on the red carpet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have a very different animal. They they're all, they are on stage. I mean, a lot of my brands are, you know, making custom pieces for the Rihannas, the Beyonce's. And when they're on stage, I mean, it's true, and they're performing in the pieces. At first, I'm kind of like, well, what's what's so important about the VAP? I mean, that sounds kind of near. That does that sounds kind of like okay? Why would you um, want to put the attention on them versus, let's say, an article, you know, mm-hmm. or a feature? Because that for me is wow. That that used to be the ultimate. Yeah, the ultimate was an article for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, but it's true that the access uh, that they can give to the consumers. I mean, if Beyonce is wearing a piece from Ottolinger or Rihanna's wearing White Project in her Anti World Tour, it's true that. The exposure is so immediate. And, yeah, I mean, before there wasn't that much attention. I mean, I wouldn't spend that much attention on it, but it's true that also in another way, I've noticed that my designers who all quite have a, a lot of creative pieces, statement pieces, the performers and the, the, the entertainers really like that. Mm-hmm. So it kind of works for both. They really stand out with those young designers. Mm-hmm. The young designer also gets this visibility. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, it works. I mean, we're also getting into the scene where there's the direct-to-consumer mm-hmm. sort of phenomena. Yeah. And that also is very effective if you have... I mean, for me, I kind of relativ- relativize it like this. I think of, you know, the, the entertainers are kind of like the somehow the gods of society, our society. I mean, so, Yeah, they are. <laughs> and, and the people are kind of aspiring maybe to be like them. But also I can, on another side, I think of it as 
if an if an entertainer, you know, who's obviously very wealthy, can you know buy anything they want to in the world, and then they're wearing these young designers or the designers that I'm representing. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, that's there's a certain bit, you know, amount of credibility. Yeah, there. validation. Think, validation, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's for me in my mind, I'm more influenced by that. I think that that there's something to be said there because that, it really, that an artist who who has that sensibility would be drawn to those pieces from your from your designers. Yeah, and that they would even, you know, wear the Gucci and then one day Y Project or choose Y Project over whatever I brand. Don't know, whatever yeah. brand when they can have really and afford really anything. Mm-hmm. So there is a certain, you know, validation there. Mm-hmm. And I, I would assume that they'd also want something quality. They'd want, they have to have it well done or otherwise on stage. It's going to fall apart. <laughs> it might fall apart. So there's also those things that are real, that's a reality. Mm-hmm. So they're, they are ticking those boxes, those young designers. They have to work even harder to... To be, to have the visibility, um, price point has to be, you know, just mm-hmm. under or to keep it mm-hmm. in the same in sphere. The same sphere. Yeah. yeah. Well, how about talk to me a little bit about that then? I mean, uh, over your experience and over your years working in in the um, PR field, have you found that these younger designers coming up now are much more? Maybe they're still art- just as artistic, but are they more business savvy? Or are they more social media savvy? Or do you find do that are they just as completely in their own universe and they need a, a you know a, a helping hand in a way that they've always done? Or is you know, or has that creativity now been grounded a bit more in like the business aspect of things? I think that more often than not, they have more business savvy now. Mm. In the '90s, I think that. They were they were coming out of universities, um, especially European ones, I would say, which was, you know, you're pushing the creativity and not necessarily so much the commercial side of it, of what it is. It's a business after yeah, all. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think now that de- they definitely are more business savvy. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that necessarily, for example, in Europe, they're teaching more business courses. I think they're probably a little bit more mindful about certain courses they must be giving uh, in preparation for what it is getting outside of the the universities and the schools. But it feels like there's more information. Um, The brands also, the young designers, they can already start things with Instagram. Mm -hmm. They can use already a social media as a tool. And um, I think that the economy, definitely people don't, they, they just don't have the the room to to play maybe and see for a couple of seasons or three seasons of course there's still designers out there trying Mm -hmm. um, maybe without so much business savvy but I think they do definitely have more now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's just more of a reality of that what about um if somebody I don't know if anybody ever you know grows up as a kid saying I want to go into you know PR relations but is there what would you say to somebody who thinks about that or, or is interested in that, it, um, what kind of character or what kind of tools do you need to have to do what you do? The first thing that came to mind was thick skin. <laughs> <laughs> I think that works for journalists too. Let me just say that right now, but okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I go. Um, I think they have to be quite polyvalent. I think they have to be interested in a lot more than fashion mm-hmm. to be successful. I think it's a good it's a good atout, as they say in French. Mm-hmm. Um, well read, 
so that you know also how to write and what's going to interest the press, how you pitch it, mm-hmm. how are they they communicating. Of course, a hard worker. I mean, that you have to have Goes that without in every saying, field. Yeah. Yeah, I think, the, you know, of course, knowledge of fashion, but mm-hmm. that's not even the very first thing I would say that has to be there. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, yeah, on a more PR scale. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there's one question I like to ask uh, most of uh, the people I interview, and that is, because I, I think this is very true, this idea of um, you almost learn more from your mistakes than you do from your successes. And I didn't know if there was a, a moment in your, a choice that you made, a moment in your life where you're like that, such... A bad call, and that, but that you learned from that and grew from that. And if you could maybe talk about what you took away from that moment, that's a good question. I know that there's been many. (laughs) (laughs) We've all had many. Yeah, I know there's been many. There's, I, I so remember moments where I'm like, okay, that's a live and learn situation. But exactly. It's kind of like the specifics are kind of not coming up of what exact moment I'm pinpointing. I don't know. For some reason, I think of like a show, of a fashion show, because there's so much coming at you as a PR and that is uncalculated things coming at you, unexpected things, and um, just logistics logistic decisions that have to be made and you think oh no okay Uh they took that bench away and you put him there you put her there and actually for them that wasn't the same as I mean it sounds silly but Uh but in fashion where you're sitting at a fashion show it can be a very (laughs) big deal it is it is and uh, you have very good relations with people Uh and if something happens with production and benches disappear minutes before the show Uh there's split second decisions and in your mind, you think, okay, bench isn't exactly on the front row, but it's still there's not another bench in front of it. But sometimes that's just, yeah, it's a perception. It's really you want to give the respect to the to the the journalist or the the stylist, and yeah, I mean, yeah. I just I remember a few specifics in the past Fashion Week, and it's just like, oh no, what do I do now? And you 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 make you gotta the call. send that bouquet. Yeah. <laughs> you get that. Send that gift out as soon as you can. Start writing that, that card right when you get back to the office. And, uh, yeah. So. All right. Well, let me switch the script and then, then on you and say, is there a um, a great memory in, in your career, a moment where you're just like, I can't believe this is happening or this is so amazing or you get the shivers about? Do you have a moment like that that comes to mind? There's a lot of moments when... All the hard work of putting together a show comes, you know, when the actual music starts, the lights are on, and you couldn't have imagined. I mean, the, the rehearsals often don't really resemble what the show is going to be like, and then you see it really happening. That's mm-hmm. that's an amazing feeling of this kind of, like, tableau vivant is actually alive in your all the hard work that you put for the month and all the work that you've had with the designer is actually happening mm-hmm. before your eyes mm-hmm. and it's really like I mean I told you like I love fashion I mean I love fashion but then the music and all that and it actually puts everything together in one moment um, I know that's not specific but on a specific I was really really pleased to be uh, selected to the business of fashion this year that was my next question I was to talk to you about that because I to be between us and everyone who's listening to this I was surprised you hadn't been on that for years already I mean what what how did that make you feel then to I mean I, I found it I, I also won on it but found it very validating and it found it I don't know it was it was nice to be noticed I guess is a sad kind of way of putting it for me in any case yeah no it does seem kind of sad and I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything no but it's it's um it's true the validation and 
I didn't come from a PR background where I had worked at a big agency or a big brand. Mm -hmm. So every single contact I had kind of came from really mm -hmm. <laughs> working it, yeah, working it and hustling. Mm -hmm. And uh, the young designers, you know, when you when you launch them, there there's a lot of groundwork that has to be done. Versus mm -hmm. I don't know, taking on a brand who mm -hmm. has so many different people working for them and you're you know sometimes I feel like I'm doing in-house and yeah. out out of <laughs> external PR yeah um and to yeah I mean one success story two success stories three success stories kind of like brands working and really becoming from unknown brands to somewhat established quite yeah. well-known brands with a nice stockist list that yeah it made it made all the hard work. It's nice, yeah, to have that. That industry that rec recognition. That industry recognition. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I feel you. I've been there. <laughs> um, okay, so let me then now ask you, well, one last question. Um, I, um, Glenn was like, wanted me to ask this, and I was going to ask it anyway. Um, <laughs> um, Glenn Martin's from Y Project, guys. Um, he wanted to know what you do to unwind. Um, what do you like to do to, when you need to relax and get away? He said he probably knew what you were going to say, so. but I'm curious what your answer is, and I'll tell you what he said. Um, a live concert is my favorite way to unwind, mm -hmm. which I don't get to do very much of. And, of course, I'm not doing that every night. Mm -hmm. I hope I get to unwind more than the few concerts I get to go to um, per year. Um, on a daily basis, unwinding. Um, I don't even feel like I unwind that much. Yeah, me neither. No, no, no. <laughs> no, he did say, Glenn did say. What did Glenn say? Glenn said uh, you like to rock out. So there I'm assuming, you, you know, and then he also said you're pretty badass at karaoke. So oh, I, that was another thing. I don't do that often, but yeah, that's part of the rocking out thing. I think so. <laughs> All right, so let me go back. I'm just make sure I get the, yeah, here they are. All right, so let me now ask you the five generic fashion questions that I ask everyone. So um, what what is the favorite piece of clothing that you own? What is something that you own that you cherish? That's a hard one. Hmm. Is it hard for everybody? No. No, some people it's hard. <laughs> some people it's not hard. But why is it hard for you? Because there's not just one. Hmm. Yeah, I have a Bliss Lau customized kind of like wedding ring that, of course, that's not really fashion. I mean, mm -hmm. of course, it's it's jewelry. So that... But Glenn went with jewelry as well. Like, for him, that was... Jewelry is more yeah. precious to him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I guess that is my favorite. I mean, not my favorite, but yeah, the most cherished mm -hmm. um, okay. article of... Yeah, adornment. Adornment. Thank you, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Um, what is the one piece of clothing you think that every man or woman should like really invest in? If they only could in invest in one designer piece, what would you say? What article? Yeah, like an article. Like what piece are you really? Good shoes. Good shoes. Great. Who's your favorite designer, living or dead? I love what Vivian Westwood's done. Okay. Me too. That girl knows how to do curves. So I, I do. I really love her. Um, is there a trend that you will never follow you personally? Like there are a trend out there. You'd be like, I will never do this. It's hard because I'm not even so often aware of the trends going on. I guess there's not a trend that I wouldn't necessarily not do. Never say never. Oh. Yeah, never say never. Okay. And then last question. Um, what do you love most about fashion? The expression. Expression of individuality. I mean, you can put on something and you're, you're feeling something. You can generate, it can help you feel good. It can 
express your mood. Um, yeah, I think that that's, that's the, my favorite thing about fashion, that it allows that sort of a window to yourself. Mm-hmm. I agree. Robin, it has been a delight to talk to you, really. Thank you so much for coming in. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jessica. It's been a pleasure. Don't want to miss an episode of Fashion Your Seatbelt? No problem. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and click on the subscribe button. Then every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. No fuss, no muss. Fashion Your Seatbelt is made possible thanks to the wonderful people at Launchmetrics, the software company that is powering the fashion industry, and GPS Radar, the members-only website where leading fashion brands and media connect in style. I am a member of GPS Radar, and I can tell you, as a journalist, it has made my work life run much more smoothly. Believe me, I know. I'm Jessica Michaud.